from dead works and of faith toward God and of the doctrine of baptisms, plural, the doctrine of baptisms, plural, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And, and, this will, will, uh, excuse me, and this will do as God permits. So the first scripture we read, it said one faith, one baptism, and the second scripture said the doctrine of baptisms, plural. Now it seems almost like there's a contradiction here, but the word doesn't contradict itself. The word contradicts our understanding. Do you know that? Have you ever witnessed to uh, some unbeliever before, the Bible is just filled with contradictions. No, it's filled with tensions. It's filled with things that are, are tense, they're a tension against each other, but they're still true in their context, okay? Uh, there is one baptism into the Christian faith. You can't get baptized in the name of Buddha or something to be baptized into Christ at the same time. There's one baptism into the Christian faith, but there's three different baptisms you can experience as a Christian believer, and that's a baptism in water, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and the baptism in the Father's love. And I'm telling you, each one of those is needed. Each one is needed. They all have a certain purpose and a reason. When you are baptized in the love of the Father, just say this. I'm talking about water baptism today, but I just want to say this. When you get baptized in the love of the Father, uh, quiet trust comes from a place of assurance in the Father's love. When you know that your Father loves you, there's a faith that comes to that. There's a security that comes with that. There's a, yeah, I can walk through the valley of shadow of death because I'm not walking alone. God's in me. God's with me. So uh, there's these three different baptisms that the Christian can experience and I think needs to experience if you want to walk in the full victory and freedom that Christ paid for. Now, in John, uh, see, in, in Matthew 3.11, John said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Connection to two baptisms here, in water and Jesus as the baptizer of the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay, it's not a Pentecostal pastor. It's not uh, the, the weird Holy Spirit you know, people say the Holy Spirit's the weird one in the Trinity. No, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Your Jesus, your Savior, this guy over here, he is the one that will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And I'm telling you guys, if you haven't experienced it, you need to experience it. If you have experienced it, you need to experience it again. Amen? Because he baptized his disciples more than one time. They, they were filled more than one time. And we, can get, we need to be filled more than once. It can't be experienced from 1973. It needs to be yesterday. Or it needs to be this morning. All right? It needs to be now. So, okay. We're moving on. Last week we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to look at the baptism of water. So to some, baptism in some churches and people, they believe when they're getting baptized, they're baptized into a church membership role. Uh, that, that, that thought is kind of like uh, repulsive to me. <laughs> it's nowhere in the Bible. It's nowhere hinted at the Bible. It just means just some kind of ritual, I guess, that people have done. But I remember years ago, uh, a teen in our youth group was coming from a different church, and he got saved, and he, we were having a baptism service here. I think it was probably at Bear Creek years ago. And uh, anyway, um, he wanted to get baptized. So I said, well, yeah, you can get baptized. And he asked his mother, said, no, you can't be baptized because we don't want you to remember Plum Tree. You're a member over here. And uh, so I called her up to explain to her what we were doing. She goes, well, we don't want her to be a member of Plum Tree. He's already a member over here. I'm like, I'm not trying to get him to be a member. I'm trying to baptize him into Christ, not baptize him into a Baptist church or Presbyterian church or whatever. But she didn't see it. And uh, anyway, but uh, you're not getting baptized into our church. Enoch, you're not getting baptized into our church. 
you're going to get baptized into Christ. Amen. There is only one church. We read that one church, one baptism, baptized into Christ. Okay? So uh, some believe that you're not saved unless you're baptized, and that's not true either. Baptism is symbolic of what happened uh, in, this, in your spirit when you were born again. So, uh, you know, just to think about it, like the criminal on the cross, was he baptized? Did Jesus say, oh, wait a second, get him down off the cross, dunk him in water, put him back up, and then let him die, and then today I'll be with him in paradise. You know, that isn't what happened. And you think about the Apostle Paul, he, he says, I didn't baptize many people. He named some people he baptized, and he said, as far as I can remember, I didn't baptize anyone else, as far as I can remember. One of the greatest evangelists, apostles ever, if, if that was what saved people, do you not think he would have baptized everybody? Everybody, he would have dunked them three or four times. Probably. Like, you need it again, you need it some more. <laughs> Hold them down there, shake them a bit. Like, if that was what was going to save them from their sin and save them from hell, uh, uh, Paul, Paul, who wrote, you know, a half to two-thirds of the New Testament, he would have been baptizing people, but he left that for someone else to do. Baptism is still something we do. Jesus was baptized, but it wasn't his primary ministry. His primary ministry was to go get people saved and born again and receive Christ. Amen? Amen. So water baptism doesn't save our souls from hell. The blood of Jesus does that. Amen? The blood of Jesus does that. Only the blood. Okay? So, but it is possible that water baptism carries a more significant meaning than we may have understood. It's not just an outward sign of inner grace. It is that, but if we don't understand what that's symbolic of, how are you going to receive what you don't know what it symbolizes? Are you with me? Uh, Philemon, uh, verse 6. Um, I don't know if you can put that on the screen or not. Philemon, uh, 1, 6. I'm putting them on the spot now. I'm testing these guys' skills back there. Sorry about that. That one isn't in my notes, so I would have told you ahead of time, but um, it's one I've been praying over for, I think I might be preaching on this verse actually next Sunday, but... Um, it's by, basically, it's by acknowledging of every good thing that's in you, your faith will become effective. Your faith becomes effective. The communication of your faith will become effective as you acknowledge the good things that are already in you through Christ. So how can you acknowledge the good things that are in you through Christ if you don't know what they are? Or if you don't know what baptism actually was symbolic of, if you don't understand it, how can you acknowledge that so your faith will be effective? Ignorance is part of the problem, right? So, there you go. I got it mostly right. There you go. Might share that next week. We'll see. So, um, baptism in the Greek is the word baptizo, and it means immerse, submerge, to make overwhelmed, example, fully wet, to wash, and to make clean. So, um, it's made me think of our VBS a few years ago. We had the submerge song. It was a, a big one. But you are submerged into Christ. You are immersed into Christ. You are, and you are baptized, fully wet, washed into Christ. Okay? That's what that word means. So I believe water baptism is an outward sign of an inner work of grace that God did in you and through you through Christ. Okay? You are not saved by water. It's saved by the blood. It's not a work of water. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Andrew Womack says that water baptism is where a new believer goes through the rite of being immersed in water to symbolize in the natural what is taking place in the spiritual. Basically saying the same thing. So I guess the question is, what does water baptism symbolize? Because if you don't know what it symbolizes, how are you going to embrace what happened to you? Amen? Are you here? All right, I hope you're ready for this because it's it's the word of God, okay? So we're going to look at what this baptism symbolizes. We're going to start with Romans 6, 
verse 1. And I'm going to try to go slower today. That is one of my goals, just so you guys know. So if, you, if I start getting excited and go fast, someone can just let me go. And I'll try to remember. I am trying to practice it. Holy Spirit's been telling me to slow down. I listen to myself on the recording like, holy smokes, I'm getting so excited I sound like an auctioneer. But... Um, I, I do get excited. I don't know if I'm, I'm afraid I'm going for, to forget what I'm going to say, but man, I get, I get going quick. So I'm going to try to do it slower today, and maybe you guys can take it in better. Um, Romans 6, starting verse 1. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection." Now, guys, there's a lot of stuff in those verses. I'm going to break it down for you and just look at it for a minute. We'll take it in some bite-sized chunks. The first thing, verse 2 says, we died to sin. Okay? You need to take, just take it in. You, when you're born again, you died to sin. You died. Okay? What was in you that caused you to desire to sin it died. And if you don't know that, going back to Philemon 1.6, if you don't know that, the communication of your faith will become effective as you acknowledge the good things that God already did in you. And you're to think, well, I'm going to still sin every day in mind, thought, and deed like people have taught. You are not going to be walking the victory where it says you died to sin. You died to it. You don't have to live there anymore. You moved out of that place. You don't live in a town called sin anymore. You live in a town called righteousness where righteous people live and right people do righteous things. Amen. Verse 3 says, we were baptized into Christ, and we were baptized into his death. His death was our death. And I'm like, well, I don't remember dying. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But you did die. Something about you died, and it was your old sinful nature. It died. It's dead, okay? Verse 4 says, we were buried with him through baptism. And verse 4 and 5 say, we were raised from the dead with Christ, by the glory of the Father, so that we can now walk in a brand new life. Water baptism is symbolic of what took place in your spirit, man, that your old man died, you were given a brand new spirit from God, and now you can walk in a new life because the Holy Spirit now lives on the inside of you. He'll give you a bent towards righteousness, a bent towards love, a bent towards generosity and kindness and gentleness and self-control, a bent towards prayer, not a bent towards sin, lying, stealing, cheating, beating people up and punching them and body slamming them or whatever else. Not a bent towards those things, but a bent towards the things of God. Amen? So the resurrection in this is talking about a, not talking about a future tense thing, but talking about a thing that's already taken place. Your your new man, your, your spirit man has already been recreated, resurrected with Christ. When he was resurrected from the dead, your new man was resurrected from the dead. Yes, a brand new man that never existed before. Again, not a future tense thing. And this is something that has already been accomplished when we were born again. But if we don't acknowledge that, if we don't understand that, we're like, oh, I guess I still have to be bound to drugs. 
I guess I still have to be bound to addictions. I guess I still have to be bound to this or lying or cheating or stealing because you don't know the sin is dead. But man, I'm telling you, once you know it's dead, it has no hold on you. It has no hold on you. Come on, somebody. There better be a better amen than that. Or I'm going to have to, I'm going to preach twice as long. <laughs> Come on. It's dead. Okay? And I'm telling you, the message of, it's all symbolic in the, in the yeah, I'm going to preach it till you get it. <laughs> so, so get it quick. Uh, but anyway, the message of the gospel is sin is dead. And you are now resurrected to new life in Christ. You don't have to sin anymore, any more than you want to. And really, that's what you were doing before anyway. You were sinning as much as you want to. But praise God, when the Spirit of God comes in, in you, He takes away the want to and changes the desire to do other things. Because you don't want to hurt the heart of God. You want to have communion with the heart of God. You want to get close to Him. Amen? So I want to show you a few examples of this, types and shadows of this in the Old Testament. First one is found in 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21. Slowing down. Who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes, there's symbol, uh, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. So think about this for a minute. Everybody on the entire planet Earth, no matter where they lived, no matter what continent they were on, no matter where they were, everybody died except for eight people. All the animals died except for fish, and if some birds could fly that long, I don't know if they could, and the ones that are on the ark, everything else died. It's a picture of death, isn't it? But water isn't what saved them. The ark is what saved them. And an ark is a picture of Christ. And Christ is what now saves us from the water, the floods of death, the floods of sin and death. And so just as the, the, that was because of sin is why the flood came, isn't it? Do you remember the story? Why, why did God flood the earth? Because of sin. And I heard Joseph Prince say this, and it makes sense to me. But it says, if you read those portions of Scripture, there's some strange verses in there about the Nephilim coming down from, uh, from the second heaven where the, the devil is. And he had relations with the daughters of man. And they had children called the Nephilim. And, uh, and they were giants. They were, did, had, maybe they were, maybe it was Hercules. Maybe it was Achilles. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know who they were, what they were. But they had special power. They were bigger, stronger. because They were half man, half angelic, or demonic, I guess. But um, it says that uh, Noah was the only righteous man alive. And if you look at that word righteous, it can be the word for pure man. It's possible that he was the only full in his family were the only fully human people left on the planet. Because you think of where it started from. There wasn't Adam and Eve. It was, you know, it was, there wasn't a lot of people then. So when God was killing those people, and potentially it was an act of mercy to protect the, the lineage of the Messiah so they could still be born through a human, not a half-and-half half person, uh, so we could have the Messiah be born through a virgin, and so that we can still receive our salvation. But what was he after? He was killing death. He was killing uh, sin. Okay? He wanted sin to die. All right? So the water is not what saved them. The ark is what saved them. It's the same way today. Baptism does not save you. Uh, the ark of Christ, Jesus, is what saves you. Amen? 
It's Jesus. We just be baptized symbolically to show what actually happened in our spirit man. But we actually need to know that too. So next example is from uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So they're baptized into Moses or baptized as followers into Moses' leadership. Today we're baptized as followers into the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? We're, his, we're following him. We're baptized into his lordship and leadership. Verse 2 said they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Types of two baptisms there. The baptism of water, the sea, and the baptism of the cloud, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, God's putting this message all through scripture. When you look for it, you'll see it. It's there, something that God wants us to have. But think about this, the Israelites were slaves, that uh, Pharaoh was their boss, and he was in charge of them for 430 years. Whatever he told them to do, build this, do that, they had to do it. He treated them poorly, he beat them with whips, some of them were killed, and he was very harsh and cruel with these slaves. But God wanted his children set free. Do you know that God wants us set free? All these things are types and shadows of the reality of Christ. All these are pointing to Christ, okay? God wants you set free. And if we don't know what he already did, how do we see, receive what he did for us? Amen? So uh, God said to Moses, he was about to leave Midian to go back to Egypt. He had to talk him into it. Come on, Moses, you can do this. He did the whole snake thing and the bush burning thing and all his arm turning lepers thing and all that. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. Don't ever do that again. Don't do that arm thing. That's, that was weird. <laughs> I'm sure that would be freaking me out. But uh, he went back to Egypt and in Exodus 4.22, it says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. Okay? Before Moses ever went to Pharaoh, before the ten plagues even happened, before Pharaoh hardened his heart, Moses went to Pharaoh and he told him, this is what the God of Abraham and Isaac said. They said, Israel is my son. These are my sons and daughters. You need to let them go. And if you refuse, I'm going to kill your son. Now, people have a tough time with this story, but the Bible talks about uh, three different times how Pharaoh hardened his own heart. First, he was warned by Moses. Then three different times as the plagues came, he said, I'll let you go. Then he hardened his heart and didn't. I'll let you go. Three times he hardened his heart before finally it says God hardened his heart. He had a choice. He had a choice. God wanted him to let his, he gave him a warning, let him go or else. And they didn't listen. I imagine him saying to Moses, who does this God of yours think he is? Does he know I'm Pharaoh? I'm God here. I'm in charge. I do whatever I want. This God of yours can't tell me what to do. And his pride and his hardness of his heart caused him to not let those people go until one day he did. And it was sad for him. So um, after the shedding of the lamb's blood and the covering of the, on the door mantles there, the death angel was released in the land. Think of the death that was going on. Every firstborn male in all of Egypt, I don't know how many people are alive then, everyone, it wouldn't matter if they're 20 years old or if they're one month old, everyone, they just would die, this death angel going through. All the firstborn animals, donkeys, cows, uh, sheep, goats, uh, bulls, whatever, all of them just fell over dead. The stench of that, the animal would have been 
horrific. There was death everywhere, but over in Goshen, in God's promised land of, of protection of his children, there wasn't even a sheep making a noise. There wasn't a dog barking. It was peace and quiet, and they were protected by the blood of the lamb that was on their doorposts. If the blood of the lamb, oh my gosh, if the blood of a lamb can do that for those people, how much more the blood of Christ protect you from COVID or any other virus or any other weapon that tries to be formed against you to prosper? Amen. Death angel or not, death angel can come. The blood of Jesus is on the doorframe of my house. Amen. Is it or isn't it? All right. So um, the death of the firstborn son of Pharaoh, in a sense, set the Israelites free from 430 years of slavery in the same way that the death of the firstborn son of God, Jesus, set us free who have been slaves to sin for over 4,000 years since the Garden of Eden. Set us free. All those pictures you see, you see death, you see sin, you see uh, redemption, you see freedom, you see deliverance from slavery. God doesn't want us slaves to sin anymore. He wants us to be a slave to right standing with God to righteousness. Amen? Amen. Amen. That is what happened in your spirit. All right? So um, Jesus defeated our enemy so we could go free. You see this, this. You defeated Pharaoh. He defeated your enemy. He defeated my enemy. This is the picture of our salvation. Amen? It's a type and shadow of our salvation. You see their deliverance from slavery, their deliverance from bondage, their deliverance from the, the tyranny and the, the whipping, the slavery, the, all the heavy burdens on them. Uh, they didn't go out empty-handed. They went out with silver and gold, and they left healthy. Amen? They left healthy. Psalm 105.37 says, He brought them forth with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their 12 tribes. That's a lot of people. Three to six million people, not one feet a week, not one feeble. I almost made up a new word there, feeble and weak. Anyway, uh, not one weak or feeble person among them. And they left. They left. They were delivered out of Egypt. They were delivered from the death angel. They were delivered out of Egypt. They were delivered from Pharaoh and slavery and all that. They got delivered. They were set free. They didn't go out empty-handed. They left healthy. And all of this was before they were baptized. They didn't get baptized until they got to the Red Sea, remember? All that was before baptism. So, guys, this is a picture of our salvation today. Sozo, saved, healed, delivered. God restoring things back to them. What he was doing is paying them for their 430 years of slave labor. He said, all right, Israelites, give them their stuff. Give them their stuff. That's all part of that process of coming out on this side into victory. Amen? Is the enemy giving us back our stuff? I wasn't planning on saying that, but that was pretty good. Uh, uh, Praise God. God must have said that. Well, he's saying a lot of this, so. It's his story. So all these things are types and shadows before they're baptized into Moses. So the next morning, they get up, and uh, Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron to him and said, get out of here. I hate you. I hate your God. Take these people and get out of here. I don't want to ever see you again. And he releases them. They start marching towards the Red Sea, and they're going in a different path as, as God led them. They come to the Red Sea, and there was no way for them to cross that. No way to get from this side to the next. All of a sudden, Pharaoh's heart's hardened one more time. He's like, what did Moses do? He killed my kid. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to get them. He sends all of his troops out to get them. They show, if you watch the Ten Commandments movie, they're on their horses. They're chasing them to the Red Sea, going as fast as they can to catch up to them. 
And right then, God made a way where there was no way. Then the cross to the other side. Cross to the other side. You can't make a way for your salvation. You can't cross to the other side without the, the bridge, the, the cross of Christ. Without Jesus made a supernatural way for you to get from death into life, from slavery into freedom. You can't do it, but God made a way, and that way was his son. His son. All right? So we'll read this again. 1 Corinthians 10.1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So after the Israelites crossed through the Red Sea, all of their enemies were literally cut off. Okay? Now, one commentary I saw said the Red Sea crossing was about nine miles long. Now, some of us had never walked nine miles in a day before, but they had to do it that day, and they had to truck it pretty good. Like, come on, let's go. The Pharaoh's army's coming. God's got a pillar of fire back there for now, but we don't know how long he's going to keep that there. Let's go moving, right? So they're trucking it through there with men, women, and children. There weren't any on stretchers like it shows in the Ten Commandments movie because it says there wasn't any feeble among them, right? So that was just a movie glitch. But anyway, uh, still a great movie. But it says the water was 300 feet deep in places there in that nine-mile crossing. Now, this week on Tuesday, we lost our well pump, and uh, it, it died and cooked, and we had to pull it out, and Dave and Mark was there, thank God, to help me. We hooked it up in my four-wheeler. We pulled it up out of there. It was kind of a cool little Jimmy rig that Dave and Mark thought of, and uh, we pulled it up there, and uh, I didn't know how long our well pipe was or the wire, and it was 290 feet long. And I'm thinking, like, and then this is 300 feet. So my water was 290 feet below the surface, and there's, there's quite a bit down there. That's, that's a lot. That's almost the length of a football field. You think about that depth. And that's how high the water was, these waves uh, of water. So imagine they're going through and the kids are playing like, whoa, look at these mountainous waves of, of water, 300 feet high or something. And imagine them putting their hands through the water like, look, I see a fish in there. And they're trying to maybe reach in and grab it. And the mother's like, come on, Johnny, we got to go. They're coming. We don't know how long. Like you just, I mean, they're kids. They're, they're alive just like us. Like just imagine what that would have been like. You, you'd never seen that before in your life. Like 300 feet high, walls of water on both sides. And it says they walk through on dry ground. Dry ground. They weren't like walking in and singing up to their knees like, oh, oh, oh. I remember doing that when I was little. Dad had an appointment. He said, whatever you do, guys, don't go play in the mud. And I wasn't even thinking about playing in the mud until he said that. That's that whole <laughs> law thing. And next thing you know, I went out there, and I was in this guy's garden, and I was playing with my brother. And we got in the mud, and it had been raining and kind of swampy. We got stuck up to our knees couldn't get out, time for dad's meeting, and he had to come over and dig us out with a shovel <laughs> to, get, to get out of there. But they didn't get stuck. They had probably some carts, probably some wagons, some horses and stuff to carry their things. They didn't get stuck. God not just parted the waters, but he supernaturally caused the ground to be dry. You imagine, who is this God you serve, amen? Think of the power of God. He can just instantly dry swampy, mushy ground. It's been wet for, since creation. That's amazing. So then they get to that when the last person got to the other side, the last kid, the last person crossed on the dry ground on the other side, the fire lifted some point, some point along the way, and the Israelites started running in there with their horses and their, their ch chariots and with their spears and all their stuff. Because Pharaoh said, kill them, go get them, don't let them escape, kill them. And they get in there as far as they could go. And once the last person went out, the walls of water came crushing down on them and killed all their enemies. All right, I'm not glorifying the death, but you have to think of it in a different way. What is this symbolic of? Baptism baptism. Something died. 
Something was killed. Something was destroyed. You think about back in Egypt, they have dead, dead uh, firstborn children and animals. Now in the water right there, they have soldiers floating and probably horses floating and, and a bunch of, it's not good. There's death everywhere, but you can't get to the other side except through Christ. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. There's only one way to cross that bridge and it's through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen? Any other way is going to be death. The flood of sin and death is going gonna, is gonna to steal kill and destroy every soul on this planet unless they cross the bridge of Christ, the supernatural way to get to the other side, that's Christ. Amen? Amen. That water was symbolic of separating them from all their enemies. All their enemies were now either dead or separated by nine miles of water. But either way, they were free, they knew they were free, and they could celebrate. In fact, Miriam wrote a prophetic song, and they were singing it on the other side, like, the horses and riders have been chucked in the sea. I don't know how that one goes, but uh, anyway, <laughs> they were excited about it. They wrote a song about it, danced about it. And uh, guys, if that's a picture of our baptism, what died with you? What is it symbolic of? There was death where Noah's story. There's death in Moses' story. Both pictures of our baptism, through the old man died, and you're now resurrected into newness of life in Christ. Amen. Newness of life in Christ. All your enemies, your spiritual enemies, all your addictions, all the bondage, all addictions to drugs or to pornography, all that stuff is dead. It says, count yourself dead to sin and alive unto God. It's dead. And if we don't know it's dead, we're going to be carrying that dead corpse around with us, thinking like, oh, I guess I still have this. I guess it's just my burden to bear. It must be my thorn in the flesh or some other kind of religious jargon. And that is not what the Bible says. It says it's dead. We read it earlier in Romans 6. It said, sin is dead. Your old man died. You're now resurrected to newness of life in Christ. There is no temptation that has seized you except what's common to man. And God is faithful every single time to always give you a way of escape. Amen? And if that wasn't true, if you had a sin nature, how could that be true? If you, were, if you were born with that nature, you still had that nature to sin, how could that verse be true? But since it's gone, since it's dead, no temptation can overcome you. No. No temptation can overcome you. Except what's common to man, God will always be faithful to give you a way of escape. Yes. You guys might remember this. When you were growing up a teenager, maybe you were... Uh, on a date or doing something at your house, and maybe you're about to get into something that wasn't too good, and next thing you know, the phone rang. It was your mom or dad checking in on you. Guess what? You just got a way of escape. All right? God's helping you. So Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. Man, don't hang on to that anymore. Don't hang on to it. It's gone. It's dead. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. You are not a slave to anything but righteousness. And Jesus said those who practice sin are a slave to sin. And he said we're dead to sin. The old man's crucified, it died with him, and we're now resurrected in newness of life in Christ. When we're baptized in water, it's symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Our old man dying with Christ and our new man being resurrected with Christ. We're a brand new creation that's never existed in the history of man before called the believer. Amen. That's who you are. So we are baptized, emerged, or submerged into Jesus Christ. We are baptized into his death. Our old man was crucified with him that sin might be done away with. I'm just summarizing these verses for you again. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. We were buried with him through baptism. We were raised with him from the death, from the dead, so that we can walk in newness of life. 
We have been united together with him. His death was our death. His resurrection was our resurrection. Uh, he not only died for us, he died as us. Just as an Adam died, all these sin entered the world. When Jesus died and resurrected from the dead, righteousness came into the world through grace. We now receive the gift of righteousness because of God. Guys, you are more than just human. You are more than just, well, I'm just a measly old this or whatever. No, you are son and daughter of God. You see what he said to Pharaoh. What do you think he said to Satan? All right, Jesus is in Sheol. Like, all right, let my children go. Day one, nothing maybe happened. Day two, day three, let my children go. And then the resurrection happened. And not only did he let them go, some of them actually came back to life. The resurrection power was so powerful that some that had been dead, we don't know how long, it was a few minutes or a few years or a few days, we don't know, but it says many righteous souls were brought back to life because the resurrection power of Jesus was so powerful, it, it just resurrected them. Amen. Amen. So, uh, and then he totally defeated our enemy. He defeated him, he disarmed him, and he silenced him. What gives him a voice is us. What gives him a voice is in our head in our imaginations. We don't acknowledge all of the good things that's already in us through Christ. We give him a voice. We give him power. You give him an inch and he takes a mile. But that's not what you were called to do, right? So since these things are for us, the benefits of his finished work is also for us. All the benefits, amen? If God did all of that for the children of Israel that were under a, a, a former covenant, a not as good covenant as we have today, how much more for the sons and daughters of God today under a new covenant with a better mediator, with better blood, a better high priest, a better everything? How much more? But again, how are you going to receive that? How are you going to walk in it if you don't know what God provided for you? You might have been told, well, that's, that your grandfather was like that. Your grandmother was like that. Your brother was like that. Your father was like that. You're going to have to be like that. That's just your lot in life. That's how you're going to have to be. No, you're dead to sin. You're dead to sin alive through Christ. And you, you can walk in that victory because Jesus paid for it, amen? If he made fair, let the people go. So they'd be free from slavery, from sin and death, symbolic of all the death and sin there. How much more did he set you free from sin and death? And that, uh, the devil's not your master anymore. Sin is not your master anymore. God is your master. Amen. In the same way, I'll close with this, same way that God wanted his sons and daughters free from Pharaoh, God wants his sons and daughters free from sin and Satan. In the same way that God wanted to show Pharaoh in Egypt who the one true God is, today he wants to show the world through us who the one true God is. Amen. And this is what happened to your spirit when you were born again. And this is what water baptism symbolizes. So we go across the road in a little bit. We're not going over there just to make Enoch get wet. Or any of you, if you have never been baptized in faith before, because if you expect nothing, you receive nothing. Do you know that? If you were baptized into just a church membership or into this or that, I'm not saying you have to get baptized again, but I'm going to give you an opportunity if you want to. I'm not going to stop you. If you say you feel like you're, you feel stirred by this, you didn't get baptized in faith, when you're, if you're struggling with addictions... I would tell you, you need to get baptized again in faith and believe when you're down there, that addiction died with your old man. I'm not, I'm not going to ask you, what, what's the addiction you're struggling? No, I, the high priest doesn't need to know that. He just goes, looks at the lamb. Just look at the lamb. We're looking to the lamb. I don't need to know. I don't want to know. Gosh, I don't. But if you're struggling with addiction 
or you're struggling with something, pitch, get either in, you can do it in faith or you can actually want to get baptized again. We'll put you under water. I'll hold you for a really long time. <laughs> but that old man is dead and you come up in newness of life and believe that you are delivered from the stronghold of Satan and sin and bondage and resurrected into newness of life and you don't have to struggle with that anymore because that is dead. Is dead. And guys, when you believe for something, you receive something. It's when we believe for nothing, we receive nothing. Amen? Let, let, according to our faith, it be done unto us. So I'm going to pray for you guys, bless you, and then I'm going to take a minute to get changed and get ready uh, to cross the road. Um, I have a couple of uh, yellow, greenish um, vests back there. I'd like to get two guys, if you'd volunteer, to go at one end and the other to stop traffic as we cross the road as a family so people are protected. And someone could turn on the yellow flashing light back there. That would be good because we want everyone to make it over safely and back uh, across the, not nine miles, but across our little road here. So uh, who, who, can, uh, who can help with traffic? Any others? One, two? Okay, there's two right there. Thank you. All right. Well, Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for the gift of baptism and what that is symbolic of, of what you did for us. You delivered us from the powers of darkness. You translate us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son that you love, Jesus. We now live in a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I thank you, God, you have given us the gift of righteousness, and we are now a slave to righteousness, to right standing with God. It is fixed. It is secure. It is safe. And God, I pray today that as we baptize Enoch and anyone else who wants to, not only they be baptized in the water, but this, the bondage to sin will be broken in their lives. Addictions will be broken in their lives. I pray they be baptized in the Holy Spirit and baptized in the Father's love all at the same time, just like Jesus was. Yes. Just like Jesus. Thank you, God. God, we just glorify your name today. I thank you, Lord, that we are baptized into Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed, but I'd like you to stay if you can to cross the road for baptism. We just need a few minutes, and uh, we'll be over there to, for baptism. <laughs>